So here's Jesus praying. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, John 16, then he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus starts this prayer by addressing God as Father. We've talked about that in the Matthew 11 series that we just finished about that Jesus calling God Father was something that was not done in that day. It was a, a very intimate term. It was, it was a, a term that Jesus used for the Father. Uh, one commentator I read said that every prayer that Jesus addressed to the Father was always addressed to my Father, except when he was hanging on the cross and he referred to him as my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But here Jesus refers to him as a father, and he says, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. There's that, that eager expectation. He's, he's looking to the father for something. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Now, that phrase doesn't mean a whole lot to us, maybe, but, but in Jesus' day, in, in several different times, we, we read that Jesus' hour had not yet come, and now Jesus is saying that his hour had come. Remember when Jesus was at the wedding in Canaan? And his mother comes and tells him to take care of the mess that's there because they'd run out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, my time has not yet come. Sound like a weird thing to say when your mom asks you to, to do something, but that's what he had said to her. Um, the, the crowds were uh, trying to capture Jesus, uh, trying to stone Jesus, trying to kill Jesus. And then the Bible says that he slipped out of the crowd, just walked out of their midst because his hour had not yet come. That phrase is talking about this moment, this culmination of Jesus' life when he would die in our place on the cross. And, and so a couple of times in Scripture we read that Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Or, or the Scripture fills in the blank and says, Jesus, they, 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 they rushed to, to capture him, but he just slipped through the crowd because his hour had not yet come. The appointed time for Jesus to die <clears throat> had not yet come. But then Jesus, as he moves towards Jerusalem with his disciples, he begins to say to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be betrayed. The hour has come for the Son of Man to die. We're going to head into Jerusalem, and, and we're going to be mistreated by the elders and all those, and, and, and they're going to put me to death, and on the third day I will rise again. And so we see this, this not come, and then it has come, and, and here Jesus is saying to the Father, the hour has come. Jesus is fully aware that the time has come for him to die. Uh, the time has come for Jesus to lay down his life and to be that, that sacrifice for our sins. The time has come. This was a time that was set by the Father in eternity past and has finally reached fulfillment. It wasn't enough for the Messiah just to come and live a perfect life, but he had to come and to die in our place. And so here is the, the time, the, the, the hour has arrived. It's, and, and Jesus is not talking about the hour like the next 60 minutes I'm going to die, but, but this is my hour, this is my time, this is why I came to earth. So he looks to the Father with either eager expectation. He says, Father, the, the hour has come. And here's the only request that Jesus made for himself in this prayer. 
glorify your son. He says it here. He says it again in verse 5. He says, Father, glorify your son. That's what he's asking of the father. What does it mean for the father to glorify the son? What does it mean for the son to glorify the father? Well, for someone to glorify someone, it means that you, you make that person's worth known. You're, you're giving to them great worth. You're demonstrating their, their worth. You're glorifying them. You're showing what they're truly worth. And so here Jesus is saying something. And, and I'll be honest with you, before I spend a lot of time studying this passage, I've read over this a, a bunch and, and never really come to understand maybe the depth of what Jesus is saying. One commentator said we could study this passage for years and never plumb the depth of what Jesus has said. So I don't expect that we'll be able to do that in the next 20 minutes. But I think there's something that Jesus is saying. When Jesus is saying, Father, I want you to glorify your son, he's not asking for fame and fortune. Jesus is not saying here, you know, Father, I want you to come and I want you to, to make me famous. But what Jesus is saying here is I want you to make known the worth of the sacrifice that I'm about to offer. Now let's unpack that for just a minute. I want you to glorify the Son. I want you to make known my worth. Not that that Jesus is personal worth, but the worth of what he's about to do. Jesus is the lamb, the spotless lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is the, the sin offering for all of us. And he's saying, Father, I want you to help people to see that this sacrifice that I'm about to make is, is it. It's, it's a payment for their sins. It's, it's see, let them see the worth of what I'm about to do. Because in, in the minds of the natural mind of most onlookers, this was, man, a prophet that offended somebody. And he's getting nailed to the cross. There goes another prophet who, who just got too bold, too outspoken, and now he's being nailed to the cross. Jesus says, I don't want them to see my death as just another prophet who got caught. I want them to see my death for what it is. The time has come for my death. Let them see that this death that I'm dying is, is all that you wanted it to be. That my, my gift, my, my sacrifice that I'm making before you is worthy of you. And so he combines these two thoughts. He says, glorify the Son. Let, let the world see that what I'm doing is, is truly worthy of you. And then I can glorify you. If the world understands the sacrifice that I'm offering is, is worthy of you, then, 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 then you give me glory, but I give you glory. And again, reading scholars this week, scholars have said this is, this is a picture of, of what was going on in heaven even before Christ came. That, the, that the, the, the Son would bestow glory upon the Father, the Father would bestow glory upon the Son, and it was this relationship between the two in the heavenlies. Jesus will refer to that a little bit later on in verse 5 when he says, I want you to restore to me the glory that I had before I came. This, this relationship, Father, where, where I bestow glory upon you and you bestow glory upon me and, and we're constantly building each other up and showing each other's worth. And so here Jesus says, I want you to, to glorify your son. I want the world to be able to see that the sacrifice that I'm about to offer is not just some, some guy that got caught and being nailed to the cross, but that you are worthy of all that I can offer to you. That's what Jesus is praying for here. He, he's not a selfish prayer. He's not saying, hey, make me some hero. Make me, make me some guy that goes down in history that the world can never forget. That's not what Jesus is saying, although that would be what we will do. We will remember forever what he did. 
But Jesus is not all about himself. This is not a, you know, somebody say, well, Jesus prayed for himself. I can, I can just pray for me, to, for God to make me famous. That's not what Jesus is asking here. He's saying the hour has come. Look with me in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. John chapter 12, 27 and 28. <clears throat> Jesus talking about the hour has come, the time has come. Look what he says. He says in, in 27, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. In other words, deliver me, spare me from this hour. He says, no, no, this, it was for this purpose that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, said this, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Here's these same two thoughts tied together in, 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 in a previous passage here in John chapter 12. He's saying, Father, I, I, I come, this is my hour, this is, I've come for this very purpose. This is why I left heaven and came. Not just to be a good example, not just to be a good teacher, not just to be a mighty prophet, but I came to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Should, should I ask God to spare me of that? If so, then I, my, my, my coming was meaningless. I came for this very hour. And he came to glorify the Father. And the Father says, man... And glorify your, your name. And the Father says, I have. And I will do it again. The Father would receive glory through the sacrifice that Christ was about to make in John chapter, uh, John chapter 17. And, and look also in Matthew chapter 16. Because we see kind of a contrast in this. Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 21, to 22, 23. 21, 22, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. Now we, we blast Peter for this. But Peter loved Jesus. And Peter wanted to be a part of the kingdom that Jesus was building. But Peter's understanding of what Jesus was doing was still very limited. We, in, in so many ways, have an advantage over the disciples in that we are looking back on the cross. They were living that, and they couldn't imagine the cross being in the future for Jesus. So here's Jesus talking about going and being killed. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, try to correct Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Is Peter trying to be arrogant? No. Peter's being a loyal friend. He's being a, a, a true brother. He's saying to, to Christ, we'll never let that happen. I know that you say they're going to come and do that. What, what if you had a friend that came to you? Or your spouse came to you and says, look, I, I've got I to go to work. And, and I've got to do this. And, and I know that when I go, you're never going to see me again. This is it. I'm going to die doing what I need to do. You would do everything in your power to talk them out of going. You do everything in your power of trying to keep them right there with you. That's what Peter's trying to do. He's saying, Lord, no, 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 no. This will never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and he said this, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Man, those words must have stung 
for Peter to hear. Get behind me, Satan, for you're a hindrance to me. And here's why. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Peter, I've just told you what I've got to do to fulfill the purpose of God. And you're trying to keep me from fulfilling God's purpose in order to fulfill your purpose. You're valuing your plans above God's plans. You set your heart on what y'all think needs to happen instead of on what I've revealed to you must happen. And so Peter had loved Jesus, and many thought that he was offering loving encouragement to Jesus. But he didn't understand that this death was why Jesus had come. That this was why, he was, why Jesus had even, even come to earth. He had this limited understanding of what God was up to. And none of us understand completely. None of us today have it all figured out. None of us today can get our, our, our arms wrapped around the, the totality of what God did when he sent his son to die upon the cross. And that's one reason that we continue to study the Word of God. It's why we have Bible studies, why we have small groups, why we do Sunday morning worship together, because we still need to be in the Word because there's so much more that we need to learn and understand. None of us have arrived. So Jesus says, my hour has come. Peter says, oh, not yet, not yet. That'll never happen to you. And Jesus says, yeah, Peter, it's, it's got to happen. So the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Let the world see that what I'm doing is not just another prophet being killed, but it's a sacrifice for their sins that all of those Old Testament sacrifices pointed forward to and that all the world will look back upon as being the the final substitute, the final sacrifice for the sins. So he's not asking for notoriety, but he's saying, show the world that I am worthy as the sacrifice to die in their place. He, he's not exact, asking to be exempted from this. He's not, he's not saying, I want to back out of this. He's saying, Lord, I want you to let the world see. Let these disciples who are gathered around me right now listening to this prayer, let them see that I am the only worthy sacrifice for their sins. Show that my sacrifice is worthy of you. And then I'll receive glory and you'll receive glory And so Jesus is saying here, I'm ready and I'm willing to fulfill my purpose. Can can you imagine having a prayer like that, where you come before the Father fully surrendered to God's plan for your life? Without hesitancy, without holding back, without trying to hedge your bets. Just say, Lord, you've put me here for, for a purpose. And I want to see that purpose fulfilled. Now, Jesus was going to a cross and dying for us. That's not our purpose. We will never be the Savior of the world. We will never be a sin offering that will be offered on behalf of other people's sins. But, But God does have a purpose for each of us. He does have a plan. And he calls us to trust him in the midst of that plan. As I was thinking through this passage and praying about this this message this morning, I kept going back to the story of Abraham and Isaac. You remember that story? Where Abraham and Sarah had waited for years and years and years for God to give them this promised son. And they finally had it. And as Isaac is growing up, God comes to Abraham one day and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. 
It's interesting, when, the, when, when God talks to Abraham about that, he said, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. Well, Abraham had another son already. But this is the one that you love, God says. It says, immediately Abraham got up and obeyed God. They, they got a couple servants together. They, they loaded the donkeys down. They settled the donkeys. They, 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 they filled it up. They chopped the wood. They, they took off, and they reached this three-day journey, and they reached the end, and he told the servants to stay there. And he said, me and my son will go and we'll worship the Lord and we'll return to you. And they loaded the wood on Isaac's back. And Abraham took the knife and he took the fire. And they were going up to sacrifice to the Lord. And, and somewhere along that journey where, where they're walking together, father and son talking, Isaac says to his dad, he says, Dad, we got the wood and, and you got the fire and we got the knife. Where's, where's the lamb? Didn't we forget something here? If we're going to make a sacrifice to God, where, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. And they continue the journey up to the top of this mountain. And they get there and they arrange the wood on, on this altar that they built. And then the most amazing thing happens. The father takes his son and binds his son. I know we read that, but do we really feel the impact of what that must have been? If you're a parent, I want you to picture you with your child that you love. And you're literally taking their hands and their feet and you're tying them up. And you're about to sacrifice your child. Can you imagine the look in your child's eyes? Can you imagine what, even if there was no word spoken, what that must have, what Isaac must have been thinking as his dad began to tie him up and lay him on the wood and draw the knife to take his life? Can you imagine just what that eye contact would have been like? We know the end of the story. We know that God spared Isaac provided a ram that was slain and offered to the Lord. But can you imagine what it was like for our Heavenly Father to send his son knowing what was waiting? Isaac went up the hill not knowing that he was a sacrifice. Jesus came to earth knowing full well that he was our sacrifice. Isaac kind of went in blind. Jesus came in full aware of what awaited him. He talked about it often with his disciples, and they couldn't understand it. They couldn't fathom it. But, but here we see some similarities between a father offering his son, one son going unaware, the other son going fully aware. And yet Jesus, fully aware of what's about to take place, says, Father, my time has come. May this sacrifice, may I be pleasing, may I bring glory to you, and, and may the world see that, that I am worthy to, to make this sacrifice on their behalf. So Jesus fulfills the work that the Father has given him. Let's continue on in our passage back in John chapter 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. Jesus had been given authority by the Father over, over all human beings 
But look at what the authority was for. He had been given authority to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now here's the interesting part, okay? We need to file this back. Jesus was given all authority by the Father. When we get to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, okay? It's already been given to me. Now you go and make disciples. The authority that's been given to me, I bestow upon you. And it's for the same purpose, to, to the authority to give eternal life. Ours is not to give eternal life, but ours is to make eternal life known. So what the Father had given to the Son to do, now the Son has given to us to do. And we're going to see in this prayer in John chapter 17 that that's exactly what Jesus is praying for, that we can continue what he has begun. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, and then Jesus in the Great Commission gives us the same, the same challenge to do. And he says that, that he has given, uh, he's given him authority to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. In John chapter 6, verse 65, we're told that no one can come to the Father without the Father being involved in that. And so Jesus understood that everyone that, that would, would come and, and follow him in salvation was, was doing so because the Father had enabled them to come. And then Jesus defines for us what eternal life is. Verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Remember back in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus was in that exchange and he says that, 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 that only the Father knows me and, and only I know the Father and, and then just those that I've made him known to. Here's Jesus referring to that again. He's saying, look, I, I've made you known. I, I've been given authority to give eternal life. Eternal life involves them knowing you. I've made you known to them. And I've let them know that you're the only true God. And that Jesus Christ, me, I'm the one that you sent to die in their place. Verse 4. He says, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus says, I've accomplished my mission. Now, it's interesting here. Jesus is speaking in the past tense. I've accomplished it. But yet the cross is ahead of him. But Jesus had no doubt where his heart was set on. He had no doubt of where he was going and what he would do. He's not wavering here at all. He's speaking of the cross as a future event, but speaking of it as if it's already happened, because in his heart it had. I've glorified you on earth. His perfect obedience declared God's worth. I've glorified you. I've declared your worth by the way that I've lived, by the attitudes that I've exhibited, by by the way that I have demonstrated your love for, for your people. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Guys, if we're ever going to bring glory to God, we have got to complete the work that God has given us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, right after the passage about salvation not being of works, it says that we are the workmanship of Christ, workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which the Father has prepared in advance for us to do. In this prayer, Jesus is praying, Father, 
I'm, I'm going to fulfill the purpose that you've given me. If we are going to bring glory to God, we've got to fulfill the purpose that God has given to us. The sad part is this. If we ask you to pull out a piece of paper today and write down your purpose in life, some of you would really struggle to be able to put on paper why you think God has you here. Some of you say, well, it's to have a family and to make babies so that things can go on as they've always gone on. Some of you say, well, it's to, it's to be a businessman. And I mean, I'm going to change the world through my business. I'm going to change the world through what I do. I'm going to, I'm going to be a teacher or I'm going to be a, a, a plant worker. I'm going, to, I'm going to make a difference through what I do in, in, in every single day. And, and, and your whole purpose seems to be wrapped up in your occupation. But if we don't know our purpose, how could we ever say what Jesus said? I've accomplished your purpose. How do you accomplish something if you don't even know that that's your purpose? So from some of us today, we need to start by saying, God, I need you to reveal to me why I'm here. I need you to show me why you've placed me on this earth. What you desire for me to accomplish here. Help me to see that and understand that and, and grasp that so that I can begin to live that out. You see, we glorify God best when we understand why we're here. And we set our heart to being willing and ready to do that. We've all been given, if we're, if we're a believer, we've all been given spiritual gifts to fulfill God's vision and God's purpose for our lives. But the question is, do we understand that? Do we understand why we're here? And if we do, are we, are we living every single day for the glory of God? Are we living every single day in order to accomplish these, these, these eternal objectives that are there? Some of us, our, our purpose in life does not extend beyond life. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make a good living. I'm going to give my kids good things. Great. But that's temporal. What are you doing that's eternal? What are you doing that's really going to matter 20 minutes after you're dead? Jesus knew that what he was doing would matter for all of eternity. And Jesus focused his life and his ministry and his calling and everything that he did, not just for the temporal, but for the eternal. He didn't live for this moment. He lived for eternity. And he says, I've glorified you by accomplishing the work that you've given me to do. Do you realize that we glorify God the same way? By accomplishing what God has given for us to do, not by what we have assigned ourselves to do. Some of us need to back up to, to have a reevaluation of why we're here and why we do what we do every single day. Are we accomplishing God's objectives? You see, Jesus couldn't hold on to this earthly stuff and still be able to accomplish God's eternal plan. He couldn't say, God, you are all worthy, and then hold anything back to God. If we're going to glorify God, then we are going to make known his glory. That's what we're, that's what we're called. To, to, to glorify God is to make known his glory, to make known his worth. How can I make known the worth of God if I put everything else in front of God? If everything else becomes more important than God? We're fooling ourselves to think 
that we can cling to our earthly temporal plans and dreams and ever accomplish God's eternal plans. Those two things run in conflict with each other. Scripture says that our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts aren't even his thoughts. And I think the reason that we don't accomplish more for eternity is that we've yet to let go of the earthly things. And we're trying to serve two masters. So God's got a plan for your life and for my life. Jesus understood that plan. Jesus executed that plan. And he could stand before the Father and said, I've accomplished everything that you have called me to accomplish. Do you realize that just by the fact that you're still alive, God's got something else for you to accomplish? A lot of times people go through great tragedy, a bad car wreck, and and somehow miraculously they survive the car wreck and they go, well, man, I guess God's still got something left for me to do. You don't need to be in a car wreck to know that God's still got something left for you to do. Some people go through a a, a terrible illness and, and they battle cancer or something else and they end up surviving that thing. Well, man, God must have something left for me to do. The fact that you woke up this morning means that God still has something left for you to do. He doesn't just use us every once in a while. He wants to use us every single day. Some days he's, he's preparing us for what he's going to use us for tomorrow, but every single day has meaning and purpose if we understand why we're here and what God's called us to do. But here's the problem. We can't expect to do the will of God if we've never taken the time to discover the will of God. Many of us just think, well, ignorance is bliss. If I don't pursue trying to figure out God's will, then I can just do whatever I want to do. And sometimes that's the heart of the problem, is that we really don't care about what God has for us to do. We care more about what we have for ourselves to do. The Bible says that we'll all give an account to the Father. And I heard a guy say this years ago, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, that there's three things you can do with your life. Uh, You can spend it, you you can uh, waste it, or you can invest it. You can spend your life doing what you want to do. You can waste your life by just doing anything. Or you can invest your life by doing what God has put you here to do. There's a lot of people today that are just wasting their lives. And, and, and you look at them and you go, man, the guy's got so much talent, he's just a waste. He just doesn't, doesn't do. There's a lot more people that are spending their lives. Jesus addressed this and said, you you spend your life on earthly pleasures. You spend your life on things that that bring you temporary satisfaction. But there are few that invest their lives, that see their lives as as a process of stewardship where God has given you this day, how will you use it for God's glory? So Jesus says, I've glorified you, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then he says in verse 6, verse, verse 5, I'm sorry. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Here Jesus turns his attention beyond the cross. Father, I want you to glorify me in your own presence. And I want you to restore what we had before the world existed. Scripture says that Jesus set aside some things to come to this earth. And he's saying, Father, I've, I've fulfilled my mission. 
And I know I'm about to die and I'm going to be crucified and buried, but you're going to resurrect me. And I pray that when you do, Lord, that that sweet, sweet thing that we had before I came would be restored. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, talks about the joy that was before Jesus. It said, for the joy that was before him, uh, he, Jesus, uh, let, me, let, me, let me grab that real quick. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And you think about the, the joy that was set before Jesus. It wasn't the cross, but it was looking beyond that. And um, Hebrews chapter 12, I'm getting there. Verse 2. It says, Look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was beset before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what's on Jesus' mind as he prays. He's saying, Father, I, I, I'm looking beyond the cross, and I'm seeing this, this being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And here's Jesus praying for that in, in John chapter 17. And he's saying, I want you to restore to me this, this glory that we had before the world existed. The glory in your presence. I've looked at this many times, and I've always thought about that joy that was set before Jesus was the, the joy of us being saved. And I think that's part of it. I think Jesus was willing to go to the cross because he knew that by going to the cross, we would be offered salvation. And I think that that brought a smile to his face, knowing that we would be with him forever. But I think even beyond that, what we see in John chapter 17 is the glory that was set before him. The joy that was set before him was that sweet fellowship that he had with the Father long before he came. To see that restored. To see that brought right back where it was before he ever left heaven and came to earth. Glorify me in your presence right there at the right hand of the Father. And restore the, this, this glory that I had before the world existed. Everything that I laid aside, Father, I'm looking forward to that being restored. <clears throat> Let's wrap this up. Our obedience to Christ declares that he is all worthy. When you and I read in Scripture something that we are to do, or an attitude that we are to have, or a fellowship that we are to, to experience with the Lord... And you and I obey what God's called us to do. In our obedience, we are declaring that God is all worthy. He is worthy of us denying our flesh and trusting him. He is worthy of us setting aside our dreams and embracing his dreams. He is worthy of whatever it is that we are called to do at that moment. Any sacrifice, any hurt, any persecution. He, when we obey God, we are saying, God, you are worthy. You're all worthy. Of whatever this is going to cost me, you're worthy. And that's why we do it. But this is where disobedience also, the other side of that coin, is that with disobedience is so devastating and so devaluing. Because when you and I choose to sin, to disobey God, what we are saying is, God, I value 
something else more than I value you. God, this sin that I want to pursue is worth more to me right now than you are. Temptation comes, and I've got to decide what's going to be more worthy. Now, in my mind, I know, what, I know God's all worthy. God, God's up here and everything else is down here. But when temptation comes, I forget about the worth of God, and I pursue this, what I think is worth something. So disobedience is, is, is very devaluing. It, our, our disobedience says I value something more than I value God at that moment. What I desire is more worthy than the Lord. So every time that I sin, I'm saying my sin that I'm pursuing is more worthy than God. But when I obey, I'm saying, Lord, you are more worthy than any of the sin that this world has to offer me. It says, God, you are worth fighting for. You're worth struggling with temptation for. Your your word says this, and then my actions will either say, God, you are worth that, or this is worth more than you. That's why you can't live in sin and and say at the same time that, that God is all worthy. God's word says don't do something. I've got to choose. God's word says, do something. I've got to make a choice. What's going to, what am I going to value more? And scripture says that God is all worthy of all that we could offer him and then so much more. What if, what if we lived fully surrendered to the Lord? What, what if right now today you and I made the decision that as best we understand and as best that we are able, we're going to pursue him fully. If there's something in my life that I'm doing that, 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 that I know is not biblical, I know is not, it's not scriptural, because God's worthy, I'm going to stop doing it. If there's something that God's called me to do that I'm not yet doing, and I keep saying, well, tomorrow, 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 if God really is worthy, then I'm going to do that today. Because by not doing that, I'm saying that whatever I am doing is worth more to me than than God. What if we live fully surrendered? What if we could say what Jesus said, Father, this sacrifice, this, this living sacrifice that I offer to you today, make it acceptable to you. May it be pleasing to you. May it bring glory to you. That's what Jesus is saying in the, in the opening part of this prayer is, Father, I'm about to lay down my life as a sacrifice for the world. Let the world see that, that, that this is a worthy sacrifice, that it will cover their sins, that it's not their works plus a little bit extra sprinkled on top, that it's all Jesus. That's what Jesus is asking for here. So when we say the first part of Jesus' prayer is Jesus praying for himself, like, like he's asking for all this stuff for himself. That's really not what he's doing. He's saying, Father, let the world see that the sacrifice that I'm about to make is a sacrifice that's pleasing to you, that it's worthy of you. And then I can glorify you even in my sacrifice. 
What if we said, Father, here's my life. Here's my living sacrifice that I offer to you this day. May it be pleasing to you. Help me to live in such a way that you could say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because, Father, just hearing those words would make it worthwhile. If we're going to live that way, then we've got to be stewards of every day that God gives us. Stewards of all the resources that God puts at our disposal. We've got to be good stewards of what God has given us if we are going to live our lives in such a way that, that, that they glorify God, that they declare his worth to the world. So as Jesus starts this prayer, he wants to make sure that his heart is set in the right place. He wants to make sure that, that God helps people to see and to understand that what he was about to do was for their benefit and for God's glory. And I pray that we could live our lives that way, that we live for the benefit of others, but for the glory of God, and that the world could come to see why we do what we do, and that is to bring glory and honor to God. I want us to pray together. If there's anything you're holding back from God right now, you need to ask yourself this question, is God worthy? Is God worthy of me sacrificing this for him. If he's not, then just admit that. But don't play around. And don't pretend.